Welcome to Fun and Fundraising, everybody, the podcast where we talk with people behind top nonprofit galas and signature fundraising events to showcase how they positively transform their communities. I am your host, Rob Giardinelli, and today I'm excited to talk about the Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Central Texas Iceball. And for that, we have several guests on today. So we have the co-chairs for the 2023 Iceball, Pamela and Will Hurley, as well as- Hi guys, how's it going? How's it going? Good, how are you? Thanks for having us. Absolutely, hi Will. Hi, how's it going? (laughs) Absolutely, great, absolutely good. And then we also have Brenda Linfords, who is the Chief Marketing Officer for um, the Big Brothers Big Sisters of Central Texas. Welcome, Brenda. Thanks so much for having us, Rob. Absolutely. And then we also have Lauren Alexander Laban, who is the VP of Development for Big Brothers Big Sisters of Central Texas. Lauren, welcome. We're glad to have you. Thank you. We're, I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for the invitation, Rob. Absolutely. So let let's get right into things. So Lauren, I want to I want to start with this first question with you, and that is, could you t- talk to us a little bit about what the mission of Big Brothers Big Sisters is? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the mission is why we're all here um, today and every day. So, um, big brothers and big big brothers and big sisters of Central Texas. Um, we really seek to transform the lives and unlock the potential of children and young adults here in Central Texas. Um, we do this by creating supportive one-to-one mentoring relationships between um, youth who could benefit really from a positive role model outside of the family. And these relationships are professionally supported. So we strive to pair our littles, our mentees, with bigs, um, the mentors, and ensure that matches are, you know, they're not only safe, um, but they're well-suited to each child's needs. They're harmonious. They're aligned in terms of interest, and they're really built to last. So um, this work really aims to close the opportunity gap. Um, 99% of our youth face some sort of adversity or lack of resources. You know, things like they're living at or below the poverty line. Um, They're impacted by incarceration. Um, And what we found is that with the support and consistency of these role models, um, kids stay in school. They maintain or improve their grades. They advance to the next grade level. They avoid unplanned pregnancy. They avoid juvenile justice involvement. I could go on and on and on, but we've got so much more to talk about here today. Um, We serve approximately 800 kids annually in Central Texas, so in Travis, um, Hayes, and Williamson County. Then this work would not be possible were it not for our volunteer bigs and our incredible donors. Many of us, many of them, um, come to us through Iceball. So, thanks so much for diving into Iceball with us today. Absolutely, and thank you all for being on. So, you know, that leads to the next question, and you know, I think each of you is probably going to have a di- a little bit of a different answer to this question, which is what makes it such a good question. I want to start with Pamela and Will with this question, largely because um, I always like when I'm talking to a couple to see how this question is always answered. And that is, how did each of you get involved with Big Brothers Big Sisters? Um, Well, initially they asked, um, it's Connie Nielsen. Um, (laughs) They asked uh, him to be involved and he was like, well, I just don't have time, but my fiance at the time, uh, she can totally do it. So I met with her at Blue Dahlia for lunch. And now that's like our meeting spot. And we, she asked me to join her committee because she was chairing that year. And I just loved her energy. 
I had been to the ice ball uh, the year before and like remember telling Will like, oh my God, I want to plan an event like this one day. And like 10 years later, I'm involved. That's amazing. That's amazing. You know, talk about that first year that you went, what made you decide I want to come back? Because that is something a lot of nonprofits, you know, can struggle with, with their signature fundraising galas is what was that feeling you went away with? It was like, I have to be involved again. I mean, of course, the mission moment is like why I fell in love with the charity, but I think it was just dressing up in the gown and like how it was, you know, elegant and nice. And it was the the year that the year I went was what, 2013. Mm-hmm. It was like standing in line to get little samples. It wasn't like a sit down dinner that it is now, like uh, an actual fancy gala. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the things that we agreed was the community, right? It was not just an event. You go to a lot of fundraisers for a lot of charities. Sometimes you're not as impressed with the mission or the execution of it. And Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Central Texas is a phenomenal job across the board on that. But in addition to that, sure, it was a nice gala and, and, and you know, kind of Austin's a little laid back. So dressing up and all was really nice for Pam. But the community of people is what attracted me. Um, so many good people from so many different walks of life, right? Such diversity among who they were doing the fundraising from that it became kind of like, oh, here's an entire new community of people. We've become very good friends with Connie and Bill and and dozens of people that we've met through just the ice ball, let alone through uh, Pam's work with the organization over the last 10 years. That's really, you know, that's really great. And it the one thing I do, you know, and we'll be talking a little bit more about committees later, later on in the later on in the episode. But I love how you talk really talked about that, you know, for an event to be successful, you know, like Iceball is, it's got to be broad in its scope. And, and what I mean by broad in its scope is it's not about the mission being broad in scope, but it's about the audience being broad in scope so that you're really reaching out almost like an octopus with eight tentacles. You're reaching out to various aspects of the community to pull them in to really create this magical experience and this magical night that makes people want to come back year after year after year. So thank you guys for bringing that up. And Rob, I would just add that I think Iceball has evolved over the years. It's a beautifully executed event, which is part of what Pam and Will were saying, but the mission is front and center. So it's got both. It's more than a beautiful, elegant party with a great guest experience. And it is all of that. But I don't think anybody leaves without understanding the impact that their involvement makes and what we're really there for, which is serving our kids. So that takes everybody in that room to being part of a higher calling, a higher purpose. Yes, it's a great event, but it is for a great cause. And at the end of the day, we're making a difference for kids. And then as Pam and Will both said, We've got this community of people who come back year after year to this event, and it starts to feel like family. We're bringing in new people as well, but we've got a lot of people that we're happy to see year over year. Absolutely. And, you know, Brenda, actually, my next question is actually going to be for you. And it was just really the way that you answered this question. I could just hear the passion in your voice. So what makes you so passionate about Big Brothers Big Sisters? Oh my gosh, this will make me emotional. 
Um, well, I just, I believe that we all need people in our lives who see us, who hear us, and who value us, whether we're the children we serve, whether we're adults. We can all probably think of one person or more who provided that experience for us in our lives and who really created change for us. I remember a professor who told me that I was good at certain things. I didn't know I was good at those things. His perspective helped me understand myself and my skills better. And his encouragement really moved me forward in some new ways in my life. And I believe we're all here to help do that for each other. And the people who need that the most are our kids, especially youth today who are dealing with feelings of isolation, anxiety. It's a tough world. And I really believe that we make it better for each other when we show up for each other. Absolutely. And, you know, um, Lauren, I'd actually like to ask this next question for you, because this this ties with donors a little bit. How has um, how do you think the shift in COVID, because the isolation part, you know, which is what Brenda just talked about, I kind of want to elaborate a little bit on because I think it really showcases and highlights why, especially people who, you know, for children who may be at risk, why what you all do is so important. How has COVID either exacerbated or changed kind of the social isolation dynamic and kind of how you have approached the mentor-mentee relationship? Yeah, I mean, COVID, COVID has left an indelible mark on all of our lives for sure. Um, but the families and youth and young adults we serve were disproportionately impacted um, by the pandemic. And when you couple that, and it's bigger than the pandemic, when you couple that with some of the economic challenges that we're facing as a nation right now, those are the families that are um, experiencing probably even more stress <laughs> around, you know, the financial aspects um, of their lives right now, right? And so it's, it's more critical than ever, I think, before that we show up for these children um, and that we offer them support because they're, they're parents, they're guardians, um, the, the people in their lives um, that are there, you know, day to day, today, today are indeed, you know, stretched really thin in a way that they haven't been before. So having an additional adult <laughs> that they can rely on and count on and maybe turn to and confide in about things. Cause because family, you know, sometimes you may be a little bit shy to share, share things with family. Absolutely. Really, 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 I think more critical now than ever before. Um, in terms of how COVID has changed, how we're delivering our programs. Um, I think, you know, like many other organizations and businesses, we got more innovative during the time, right. In order to fulfill our mission and really, um, continue to help serve these children, we had to think about different ways of doing that. So um, in the past, we've always encouraged or required, if you will, um, our mentees, our bigs, and our littles to get together in person once per month. I mean, sorry, once per week. And um, that's the goal. But what happened during the pandemic is we said, well, we've got to keep our bodies safe. <laughs> so um, if we're trying to, to limit exposure and germs, then hop on Zoom, get on, get on the phone, exchange more memes by text, right? How can we interact electronically? Um, and while now we're in the position where we are 
absolutely encouraging getting together in person. We What we have learned through the pandemic is that those methods of connecting electronically are still deeply impactful and make a difference. So once the relationship is really well established, again, we have professionally supportive relationships and, and we can tell by certain markers when they are well established, then, you know, our, our um, matchmaking team and our support team might say, yes, like if you want to, if you want to have a once a month get together electronically, do that. Um, but you, you wouldn't believe the difference that just dropping a text a couple times a week and sending a fun meme when you know a child's um, day could be brightened by it. What kind of a difference that makes just to know someone's thinking of you. That's really cool. And one thing I really like about that, because, you know, historically, you would go and you would meet with a child would meet with a mentor once a week. And really what it sounds like has happened since COVID's began is it's not just about the big once a week meeting. They're actually able to share exchanges now about smaller moments in their everyday life where it's like, I would just love to share this with someone. Let me share it with. And Absolutely. it's really yeah. cool to see you talk about that. And that's kind of where in one aspect, that's a positive element that, you know, because now that we're in the rear view mirror of COVID, we've got to look at some of those positive things. And that's definitely one Absolutely. of them is engaging with some of the smaller moments. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I think this might be another a, a, an important moment to also emphasize that these small moments do really build those relationships. And what we have found is that, you know, once and Brenda would probably know the exact statistics. She's she's been here a little a little longer than I have. I'm about, about to celebrate my three month anniversary um, with the organization. Um, but what we found is after um, mentors and mentees have been paired for a certain amount of time, and I think it's around 18 months, that relationship is expected to endure much longer. And we have matches that have been together for six, you know, eight plus years. And I have heard so many stories. This is a hard job for an empath because you hear a lot of really moving yeah. things. Um, but there are, there are, you know, the formal program may have ended because the child may have graduated from high school, but those relationships endure. And I have met, you know, some of our mentees who refer to the children of their littles as their grandchildren. And they are oh. still very much involved in each other's lives. And they've been involved in weddings in every moment. The families really become integrated. And I think as we've started using technology more effectively, just as a society, but also through our program, I suspect we're going to see more of that happening. Well, to, you know, to build on, really on that, to build on that for a minute, Lauren. So Big Brothers Big Sisters has existed nationally for over 100 years and here in Central Texas for 51 years. And I know of matches in our program who have been matched and in each other's lives for more than 45 years. Wow. So those connections last. And as Lauren was saying, often they become family to each other. And I was talking with a match recently who said, my little, my little sister helped me understand that family is not just about biology. It's about the network of support that you create. You can create a family of support and it doesn't have to be the people you were born with or to. That's really, I mean, 
that's a really powerful statement of just, you know, the lifelong connections and the, in the importance of, you know, a wide network and really building support. And actually, that's a good segue into the next thing I want to talk about. And th this is a question, you know, really, I'd like to hear everyone's perspective on, but I'd like to start with um, Pamela and Will. And that is one thing I've always been impressed with about Iceball is you all have a really strong committee. And for me, I what I always look for are, I want, you know, for me with what I do is it's a mix of usual suspects and names I haven't seen before. And you all do that really, really well. So, you know, I'd love to hear, you know, Pamela and Will's thoughts, you know, cause you have been involved with the, the ball for a long time. What are some features of a strong gala or event committee from, you know, from your perspective? Well, I think there's kind of three principles that jump right to mind, right? One, you want a really diverse group uh, in every aspect because diversity helps build density around things like this, especially, you know, as was mentioned earlier, the economy is not doing so great. It's putting more pressure on not just these kids and their parents and their and their guardians, but also on the org because now there are more kids that need help. So it's not just about the 800 kids that are being served now. It's about more. And so that diversity was a big thing for me. Obviously, you want people that are leaders in the community where you can and have effective leadership skills. Super, super important. And, and, and thirdly, you want to have a network, right? We are trying to raise money at the end of the day to support these children. And the more we can be connected into new areas where we haven't received donors from, new businesses that might participate, new organizations that might offer some co-support or, or something, that's really, really important. So that's kind of what we looked for for this year. We have an absolutely wonderful committee. And even though things are you know, a lot tougher on everybody all the way around, uh, I think we're going to do really well as far as the services we're going to be able to offer to these children, uh, you know, going into the next year and hopefully expanding. Again, you think about 800 kids and think about the population of Austin. Think about how much it's grown. Think about, I mean, do you really think 800 kids, we're, we're nailing it? We're helping all of the kids we could be helping? I mean, it's not even close. Yeah. And we need the people listening on this podcast. We need the people coming to the ice ball to help contribute. Maybe they become a big, maybe they recommend a little, maybe they do donate money or their company donates money or whatever. There's a million ways to get involved. And so you want a strong committee that looks for all of those because some people may not be able to donate, but they could volunteer or vice versa, you know? So we want something that's really set up so that everybody gets a chance to participate and support these kids. Cause that's really what it's all about at the end of the day. That's fantastic. And, and Pamela, please share. And like during committee meetings, which I attend pretty much all, he attends when he can, um, strong communication between everybody. I think like Lauren does a really good job at sending a thorough email out with, you know, everything that we need, stuff we're looking for. We have a really good spreadsheet of like who is talking to who and, you know, making sure we're just super organized with um, how we're fundraising. That, that's that's really that's really a good perspective. And Pamela, I have one follow-up question I wanted to ask you in particular. And, you know, because you went the first year and then you got gradually more involved. I'm sure you served on the committee several times before you chaired. What advice would you give to someone who, you know, attended something, never has served on a committee before, but they've gone to an event, they've really enjoyed it, and they just, they're either afraid or they're scared or they're just not sure how to engage. What's a piece of advice you would give to someone about joining their first committee and why they should do it? 
Well, going back to like when I first joined the committee, I was really nervous and I was stressed out. I would stress myself out all the time. Like I have to perform good. I have to do this. Like I can't, I can't, you know, and I was first time asking people for money. So it was scary for me. I've gotten better at it after 10 years, but it's at first it's like stressful. So I would just say maybe just like sit back and take it all in see how it all works. Don't say, oh, I'm only going to be a committee member for one year. Mm -hmm. I feel like go in it for the long run, you know, go in, really kind of feel it out the first year and then, you know, do what you can um, and then like grow on it as you move forward with it. You know, some of our committee members, we've been there forever, you know, and we've just kind of grown with the organization. You get more comfortable um asking for money i think the first thing i tell people is like go ask your um you know where you get your hair done or you know if you get a massage or your favorite places to frequent your favorite restaurants you could ask them can i you know can i get a gift card for this organization i'm chairing or you know on the committee that, yeah. you know, that's great. And what I love is, you know, you really summed up two really important things about being involved and being in a committee. And one is you found an organization that spoke to you and two, you followed through and you committed to it. And that's, you know, when you do those two things, you can really achieve a great deal. And, you know, you, you, you two both definitely have. Well, I think adding on to what Pam said, I think the important thing is don't set expectations for the organization. When you're wanting to do something, when you're wanting to join, and we would encourage everybody listening to try to become involved, obviously with Big Brothers, Big Sisters, Central Texas, but it doesn't have to be like, oh, they're going to raise X amount of money. I'm personally going to personalize that and take on responsibility for that entire task. It doesn't have to be, I mean, it could be showing up. It could be collecting gift cards, like Pam said, or things for the silent auction. It could be just showing up to the meetings and helping take notes and helping Lauren organize, you know, for example. So like there's a role for almost anybody who wants to participate. Um, and it doesn't have to be you raised a million dollars. It could be you made, you know, 10 of the right intros, right? It could be that you volunteered at the uh, other events that lead up to the ice ball. It could be a million things. And so there's so much opportunity to get involved. I think people often have a fear and a trepidation about it because they put more pressure on themselves than what the organization is going to put on them. And what's been so wonderful 10 years in, obviously we're enjoying it or we wouldn't be doing it 10 years Absolutely. later. Um, it's such a great community, as I said earlier, and such a wonderful group of people who are organized, who are executing and really delivering on the things they're promising the community. Um, that makes it a lot easier. And I think it's a really easy organization to get involved with and find what your role is and how you can specifically contribute. And it may not be what you think, and it may not be something grand. Sometimes we need the simplest of things, you know, that, that just can't get done. We don't have the people or we don't have the time, or there's an influx, a, a, you know, an, an in, getting inundated with requests and just little things, they help a lot. They do. And, you know, what's really interesting about what you said, and you talked about this earlier about, you know, a diverse committee, you know, diverse committee and just people having different skills that they bring. You know, and we've talked about this on this show before, but there's really an, on a committee, there's two essential elements and you both, you know, explain them so well. The first is, yes, there are going to be those that are going to cut checks and they're the ones who bring the financial capital. But second, and I even think more importantly, in a lot of cases, especially on a committee that's got, I would say if it's a committee larger than 10 people, you've got to have a lot of these folks are people with human capital. 
And who are they networked with? Who do they, who do they know that can make the event better? And the making the event better may not even be a check. It could be a live auction item. It could be any one of a number of different things. And I'm just so glad that you two both brought those up in in the ways that you did and did a really great job of outlining outlining them. And one thing I want to follow up with what uh, Brenda said, like uh, what I love about the committee is it feels like family. Like I enjoy going to the committee meetings because I feel like it's a family reunion once a month, you know, and getting to see everybody, you know, and chatting with them and catching up before the meeting. And then we get to business and then, you know, we say our goodbyes at the end. But I, I just love the community and um, the family aspect of the organization. That's fantastic. Lauren, um, Brenda, do either of you have anything to add um, add about committees and kind of, you know, what your secret as an organization is and trying to, you know, find the right folks? I wanted to add one thing. Um, the question you directed to Pam, if someone is is thinking about joining a committee um, and it's their first time and they might be a little bit hesitant, uh, one piece of advice I would like to layer on is talk to the development leader there and get to know that person because whoever is sitting in my seat at a nonprofit organization wants nothing more than to help the people who are excited about the mission help the organization in a way that puts you know their strongest skills or interests or aspirations first. Um, and there are so many ways to do that. Um, Will and Pam talked about a number of them, but even, even things that people might not be considering. So with a silent auction, you've got to curate packages and make them look beautiful on a table, right? right. That's not a skill that everyone has. So um, yeah, get to know the development team because they can help you plug in in a way that will be meaningful and satisfying and will help deepen your connection to the organization. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Lauren, uh, Lauren actually did a really good job at that. You know, she's been with the company three months and right away she was like, hey, what do you think about me coming over to your house? And we do a work session. And I was like, yeah, totally. We worked for what, six or seven hours? Yes. Uh, the first two times we did that. I mean, we just like worked mm -hmm. and I and love the fun. Yeah. I, I, we had fun. Like, I felt like I was working with my best friend. It, it was awesome, you know? So, and even though we just met, we feel really close now. Well, you know, it's it's really important what you two both just brought up. And that really is in order for a gala to be successful, there needs to be a synergy between the chair slash committees and the organization. And there has to be something on the same page. They, there has to be an alignment on the same page. And that involves a lot of gathering and it's a lot of work and, you know, for anyone, you know, when you chair an event, it is not for the faint of heart. Do not do it. And there are people, I've seen this, there are people out there that will chair for vanity. And you can tell the second you walked in that that was done. I've walked into enough of them to see that. And one thing I've always liked about going to your all's event is you can feel the cohesion between the, you know, the committee and the organization, and it feels like a cohesive unit. And that's something that's really special about your event that I've been fortunate enough to experience over the years. 
Yeah, if people are doing it for vanity, they should not. It's a really hard job. (laughs) (laughs) And so you have a lot of effort. And they've actually (laughs) asked me to do it several times. I've declined. Um, mainly because I felt like I had to become a big sister before I could actually chair the event. Cause that is like, I'm on the board mm-hmm. I'm on the board and the foundation board. And I was like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to chair this event. Like, I feel like I need to be a big sister before I can take that step because this is a big step, uh, being a chair of. Big brothers, big sisters. Well, I love that. And it's really, it's, it's a showcase of persistence. And, you know, you, you were asked multiple times and it was, you weren't saying no, never again. You were just saying, no, I oh, can my- do my impact better if I know more. There is a way to, just because you say, and I think people get wrestled with this sometimes with nonprofits that if someone approaches you, it's like, if I, if I don't say yes, I'm a bad person. And that's, you're not saying no, never contact me again. You're saying this isn't the right time. And there, there, there's a big difference in understanding the difference between those two things, you know? So thank you for sharing that. And, you know, um, Brenda, I wanted to ask you a question and, you know, this is talking about the organization, Big Brothers, Big Sisters is national. But you all honor, each year you will honor at the Ice Ball someone with an annual award. So tell us a little bit about how, you know, within a national, the confines of a national organization, you all go about selecting an honoree. Sure. Well, a few years ago, we made the decision to create an award called the Ice 7 Award. And we've given that out for the last several years. And that award really goes to someone who has made a really significant difference for Big Brothers, Big Sisters locally, for the gala, and who has advocated on behalf of our mission. So there, it's an individual or couple who we feel has made a really profound impact, uh, again, on our organization on and on our event. And, and those people are people who have served with us in multiple ways. They've been donors, they've been part of events, They've been spokespeople for us. They may have participated in a capital campaign. And as we talked about earlier, they may have used their influence to bring other people into the organization and expose them to the mission. So these are people who have really led for us at a high level in multiple ways. I love that. And that the leadership is not just about money. And that is so important when honoring people. It is as if not more important to honor the people that do the work that has helped put the organization in a position to be really highly regarded within a community. And I think that's such an important point. Now, you know, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, um, a little bit about what we can expect at this year's ice ball. So Pamela, I'd love to start with you since I know you've been asked several times and I know that there's probably a couple of elements that have been in the back of your mind for years that you've wanted to do. So tell us a little bit about what some people, what people will experience this year at the ice ball. Well, I've always wanted to add a little flair to the ice ball. And um, I've always loved the Met Gala in New York. So I wanted to bring the Met Gala to Austin. Fun. So we, have, um, we used to be black tie optional this year. We we're black tie extravagant. Ah, and we're doing a theme, which is fire and ice. 
Ooh. So I think I expect some amazing outfits this year. <laughs> That'll be fun. And From God. men and women. So the men have to step it up this year. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, and I love that, you know, it's, you know, because the event is, it kicks off the Austin social season. So it's in late August. And I love that it's a nice theme because it's been so hot. It is so hot. I love, you know, the ice theme that you bring in. And I've already got selected what I'm going to wear. That's kind of a nod to ice. Let's just say that. I love it. I know my friend was like, I'm going to be Elsa, but like extravagant. And I was like, okay, I'm loving it. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So um, what are some other things um, from an organizational perspective we can expect at the ice ball this year program wise? Well, so many different things, Rob. So this is our 19th annual ice ball. Next year will be the 20th reunion of this event. We're expecting a crowd of 800 to 850 guests. Our fundraising goal is a million or over a million dollars expect to raise. Um, and that's enough to fund more than 750 matches in our program and a lot of kids with a lot of need out there. We talked about the theme, but there are a lot of games and activities. We've got a signature cocktail. We've got our silent auction, live auction, um, games, heads or tails. Um, our mission moment and our fun to friendship um, paddles up portion of the evening will be going on. We've got ice sculptures and photo booths. And then our after party, the big after with music and dancing and some additional things. So the things people know and love, as well as some new items and the new event theme uh, for this year. That all sounds like a lot of fun. It will be a lot of fun. Lauren, what have I forgotten? Well, oh, go ahead, Pam. The live auction is playing on the uh, fire and ice theme, which I love. Like, oh. done a really good job. Lauren's done a really good job at curating some packages that really, really play on fire and ice. Well, I'm oh. curious to see the program now and what those are. Well, well, Brenda's going to slowly be doing a, a big reveal. Um, but yeah, we again, we're we have the most amazing committee. So um, we're having fun curating packages that are of the theme. Um, but I, I would kind of like to jump in and add one add in one more element element that we're really going to be highlighting this year that I think is going to be a departure from years past, but is really, really critical for the moment that we're in now. So earlier we talked a little bit about, you know, how the pandemic slash the, the economy has impacted our families. And this is our signature fundraising event. It's our biggest fundraising event of the year. But if we have this many people who are part of the, you know, the Big Brothers, Big Sisters community, but also what has now become the ice ball community, we really need to give everyone in that room a chance to either raise their hand and say, I'm interested in learning more about how to be a big brother or big sister, or a chance to raise their hand and say, you know what, I have this company or I'm at a company that really is committed to volunteerism and community engagement. And I want to have a chance to let the, you know, my colleagues know that this opportunity to impact and change lives of youth in Central Texas exists. So we are looking for moments throughout Iceball, both the formal program and the decor program <laughs> slash you know, communications program sprinkled right. throughout to let people know that there's an opportunity to engage in that way and an opportunity to invite 
their friends and their colleagues to come and learn more about what it means to mentor. Um, you know, what we hear over and over or have in recent years is we've heard people say, I would do this, but it will take so much time. But the truth is, do you have 30 minutes you know, to have coffee with a, with a kid and bookend that, or not with a kid, you would have coffee probably with a young adult or a teenager, <laughs> you 14 know, and above. Or, or go walk in the park or, you know, kick a yeah. ball with a kid or do a craft project. But do you have 15 minutes to drive to pick them up 30 to 45 minutes to engage in that activity and 15 more minutes of drive time? Because we all know if we have kids, the most important conversations often happen at the car in the car when you're not making eye contact. Like, do you have that? that kind of time once a week. And if you do, you know, would you want to invest that in a relationship that can be transformational for a child? And once, once you make that transformation for a child, there can be a generational impact, right? Um, so anyway, we, it's really important to me. It's really important to the agency. Um, I think it's also really important to our chairs that we give people a chance to know that, that, this program happens, yes, because of the funds that are being raised, but also because of the volunteers that power the work day to day. That's incredible. I mean, such an important point because, you know, we can raise a bunch of money, but we talked about these 800 kids. Mm -hmm. You know, Brenda just talked about how right now this budget gets us to about 750 or so kids. There's probably a couple thousand easy that we could find that need help. All the money in the world doesn't put a volunteer in front of that kid, right? Mm -hmm. And so we need all of these things together, you know, in an orchestrated, you know, manner to be able to deliver what we're trying to deliver to the kids here in Central Texas that need these support and these services that come out of these relationships. So volunteering, again, everybody that's listening is a super easy thing to do, as, as you know, Lauren just laid out. You have 15 minutes to drive, 30, 45 minutes to spend, you know, another 15 minutes. That's you know, a lunch meeting out of your week that makes such a dramatic impact on on a child or a young adult's life. So, you know, it's really, really, I, I think we can't underscore that point enough is we're not just out there looking for money. We're looking for more volunteers. I mean, what if we got the money to serve 2000 kids? Do you know how many more volunteers we'd need? You know, it's about 1200, you know, to, to, to 1400 volunteers probably. So there is so much opportunity to participate in this, in this, uh, not just the event, but in this organization and so many ways that you can help, just little ways that might not be, they might be super easy for you, but it might be something that we're having difficulty with. So, you know, I would encourage everybody to really reach out and, and find out how they could be involved. And as Pam said, when you're joining, yeah, it could be a little, you know, intimidating, but, you know, I think this is probably one of the most organized most wholesome, just warm group of, of good souls I've ever had the benefit of working with that I think, you know, you'll find it very easy to acclimate and, and become a part of, of this wonderful, wonderful cause. You know, that, Pamela, Pamela, go ahead. I just wanted to add, like being a big, one thing I was surprised about is I find a lot of my conversation with my little is about entrepreneurship. She wants to learn more. She's started her own crochet company and uh, you know, she's selling little these cute little pieces she's making. She's even commissioned, I commissioned her to make a purse for me, a crochet purse. And um, I'm just like so proud of her because when I met her a year ago, she's completely different, you know, 13 year old she is now. So 
you that's, know, I think that's incredible. And I think it goes, you know, the heart of this episode, this episode, and I'm really realizing it with what Pam and Will just said is really human capital is so critical to the success of an organization. And, you know, all of you on here today have really just done a phenomenal job of just passionately and authentically and caringly talking about the importance of that and how that really does. One, it's fun. And two, it positively impacts you know, the awesome community and hopefully with BBBS communities all around the United States. So I can't thank all of you enough for um, being sharing your time with us today and talking more about Iceball 2023. So thank you. Thank you. Thank Thanks. you so much, Rob. And the Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Central Texas 2023 Iceball will be held on August 26, 2023 at the JW Marriott in Austin, Texas. For more information, please visit bigmentoring.org. And that will do it for this episode of Fun and Fundraising. I'm your host, Rob Giardinelli, reminding you to keep it fun, keep it interesting, and your guests will have a great time. Have a great day, everyone, and take care.